0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the TriFaster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Ironman World Championships. It's been, I think I've seen a bunch of counters on social media, uh, but 900 plus days since we've been able to talk about an Ironman World Championship, and we finally have one coming up in the next week in St. George. I'm thrilled to be talking about it. Um, I'm joined by my friend and my coach, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, Keith? Pretty great, Michael. How about you? Doing awesome. Awesome. Very excited to be jumping into the topic of the Ironman World Championships. But before we do that, we're going to be talking and giving a couple updates uh, on some racing that we've both been involved with over the past week uh, and recapping uh, 70, Sorry, Ironman Texas before we preview St. George. So, Keith, you most recently were at the Multisport Nationals. And you were there not only by yourself or with yourself racing, um, but your entire team, the Fort Worth tri club, give us an update on all the races and how everything went for your team. Yeah, this was a really fun
1: event and it was in Irving, Texas, just outside of Dallas. And it went from Thursday all the way through Sunday and they had several national championships. They had, um, the nationals for draft legal sprint triathlon and duathlon Um, the standard distance duathlon aqua bike aquathon and um, mixed team relay which was a lot of fun and so um, i I was able to and super sprint non-drafting super sprint that was the last one Um, so i raced the super sprint and i raced the draft legal sprint and i raced the draft legal duathlon and it was pretty great the the thursday race was the super sprint and it was a 250 meter swim and a five K bike and what was advertised as a twelve hundred meter run, but it was really maybe about nine hundred meters or so. It was pretty quick. Um, but our, our team had a really good showing. I, I ended up third in my age group and we had guys get second and third in the fifteen to nineteen. Um, and we had a third in the twenty to twenty four, so that was a lot of fun. Um Friday, the draft legal sprint. Um I don't know if I've talked about it a whole lot on the podcast, but my swim has kind of had a big uptick lately. And uh, in the draft legal, my wave was 30 to 44. And I was actually fifth out of the water in my wave. And I was actually swimming fairly easy to swim with the main group of guys. And so that was an unusual experience that I was able to slow down and look around and did some backstroke around the buoys. And I was able to see that I was with the group and about six or seven of us came out of the water together. Uh, the swim wasn't fast. Necessarily, but um, for how comfortable it was, um, I was pretty happy with it, and I was okay on the bike. Um, we didn't really have a an organized group, and so I was I was solo for most of the ride. Um, had an okay run. I kind of saved it up because that was Friday, and I was really targeting the the draft legal duathlon on Sunday. So took it pretty easy on the run, and ended up third in my age group again. Um, and then we we had a good showing there too with our our young guys. They got. Second, third, and fifth in the fifteen to nineteen, and uh, one of our guys, Hudson, he was in the the front three out of the water with a couple guys in the 25, 29, and he swam nine twenty nine for eight hundred. So I was, we were really, really happy with that. That we think he'll be a front pack junior swimmer here in a few weeks at the first race, um, and then uh, the the duathlon on Sunday. That was um, it was pretty warm. It was we started at two o'clock and. You know, it was already about 80 degrees, I think. And that was pretty hard. We went out fast. Um, There was one guy that's on Everyman Jack that took it out pretty quickly. And I think everyone knew he was probably going to be the guy to look out for. And we went through the mile and 458, 459, something like that. And uh, I ended up backing off and we let him go by himself. And there was a group of four or five of us together. And then there's another chase group with about five or six guys behind us. And we waited for them and we made one big group on the bike and I ended up getting dropped on the bike, uh, at coming up on, on about 10 K. I went to take a drink and some guy surged and and I wasn't able to, to cover it. So I learned next year, just don't drink for a sprint distance. I'm just going to make it to the end. Um, and then, uh, the run, the second run was pretty rough, but I managed to, to hang on. I got 10th overall and uh, fourth in my age group. Um, but I think the most exciting races, we ended up having three, three national champions over the, the weekend. Uh, one of our guys won the 15 to 19 in the non-drafting short course duathlon. And then, um, our assistant coach, she won the 20 to 24 in the draft legal duathlon and she ended up fifth overall. And then our mixed team relay uh, won the combined age of 100 and under age group and they finished fourth overall and that was probably the most exciting race of the weekend they were in the lead for a while um, Hudson tagged off first and um, Peyton our assistant coach she was our second leg on the relay and she came off the bike pretty much right behind the leaders and it was it was a lot of fun to to see them um, you know work fighting against a much older group though she's the oldest person on our team she was 21 and the youngest person on one of the three teams that beat them i think was 27 so they've got some time to develop some awesome yeah with some time so it it was fun and, and we'll we'll do it again next year i think the only drawback was one of the big junior races was the same day and that was the world junior championship qualifier and so our guys skipped that to do this at home but next year hopefully we're not making that choice and they can split those races up. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So I got a couple questions. One, it sounds like the part where tri club kind of cleaned up when it comes to finishes and and rankings, do they rank the clubs? Like how do you, do they do any of that at this, this type of event? They used to have a club nationals and
1: this year, I guess it was kind of a COVID casualty since 2020. And this year in place of that, they had a club competition for the relay. So if all four of your relay members were from the same club, that was kind of like the club national championship. And mm-hmm. so our club ended up third from that perspective. They were one of the teams that beat them was a, was not all from the same club. And so they awesome. ended up third, but next year they're bringing, back club nationals and it's going to be at this event and I think there will be some sort of point scoring element to it, but I'm not hundred percent sure on, on mm-hmm. how that's going to work. So you yeah. might need to fly down to help us out. And
0: uh, <laughs> Thank you. if you need me to help you, then you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> that's, that's where I'll leave that. Well, the other question I have, so it sounds like there was a lot of unique formats here, which it's really cool. So USA triathlon is a post organization for this, right? How come this is like one of the few events that you see these unique race formats. I know there's like, Hey, super League, all those other type of, you know, internationally, uh, but you don't find these type of formats in the U S much, you know, I guess maybe we'll break it into two questions. how do you like racing these unique formats and do you want to see more of it? Yeah, I think it's great. It, it would be cool
1: if, if some of the normal, you know, weekend races added one or one or two of these, I know the draft legal would be really hard. Um, But the national championships for these events have generally been standalone events, or there's one or two of them. Like all of the duathlons are one weekend and, you know, they might have Aquathon and Aquabike at some other weekend together. And Mm so um, World Triathlon a couple of years ago decided to have a multi-sport world championship week where they do all of the long course and all of the non-traditional multi-sport events over the course of eight or nine days. And so now USAT has moved into that same format. And so they're doing all of everything except long course. We did not the long course nationals are still their own standalone races, but um, it was pretty cool to get to do that and to race a few times. And, you know, you only have to travel once and then they were all qualifying for that multi-sport world championship and it's in the same place. So it's going to be in Spain next year. So that's a chance for you to, do a bunch of races, qualify in a bunch of events, and then, you know, uh, not have to travel to to multiple national
0: championship <laughs> venues. So yeah, that was pretty cool. cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it would be cool. I don't, I don't know how much draw. Like, if other races, um, Olympic distance, other sprint races started to incorporate these even shorter race formats, how many people would sign up? But I think it would be really cool because it potentially would also help. Hey, like a super sprint that you did with a 900 meter run, like it might help get others that would never want to do a triathlon because they're intimidated by the distance or, or some, something else involved in the sport. Um, And I think it would be really neat if we saw a little bit more of that type of format, but, um, it's probably already hard enough for race directors to get races in the first place set up and scheduled with all the logistical challenges. So I I guess, uh, we'll see, we'll see. I would definitely raise that duathlon. Yeah, I would do do draft legal duathlon and a super sprint. That that sounds like fun, really. Uh, Especially the uh, draft legal duathlon. Even though I'm not the strongest runner, it would be kind of cool to mix in some draft legal biking. Um, not have to worry about the draft legal swim because I I wouldn't even. You're probably a strong enough
1: runner that you would have had a good group of guys. Um, It it looked like kind of that slightly like, above average runner was the biggest draft pack on the bike and you know because the they started all of us at the same time so there were over 200 guys we all took off at the same time and um, you know there were little packs along the way but there were a couple pretty large packs kind of in the middle you know i don't think they were they were never going to catch the front group but it was probably
0: fun and it was a pretty large pack so the only thing that scares me about that is that the typical triathlete has about the handling capability of like a squirrel. So it would be a little bit sketchy trying to push the pace. Everyone's already a little bit out of breath and exhausted from a hard run. And you know, you're just surrounded by triathletes in a pack and you're, ta- I don't know if the course was technical or not, but that, that could be a little bit nerve
1: wracking. The, uh, the course wasn't too technical. The only part was there was one slightly narrow right-handed U-turn and, you know, I'm, If you don't know, right-handed U-turns are my least favorite thing on the bike. (laughs) Uh, And so that was a little squirrely um, just because of the way the course was set up. So if if you were finishing, it was two 10K loops. And so if you were finishing Mm -hmm. a lap at the same time that someone was finishing the run, you were coming into the right-handed U-turn, which would naturally mean you would move out to your left, but people were also merging from your left that were starting the bike.
0: Oh, and wow, they so it was the same in a
1: worse spot. Yeah. It was the same in the triathlon. It was a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, uh, my feedback for them, and, and I'm going to try to send some feedback is the, on the draft legal races, we rode on the left side of the road. And I think they would just have to move the signage for like transition, like where bike in and bike out is, but flip the course just for the draft legal. So that we're riding on the right side of the road, because I think that would clean up a lot of things. Um, there were also some traffic issues with, um, cars, they didn't close the course completely. So they were letting cars go across the course. Um, but the road was two lanes each way. And sometimes the cars weren't going to the far lane and they would start going into the middle lane, but we were riding against traffic. So the cars were coming head on a couple of times and they had to swerve off through the cones. So, um, mm-hmm. it was a little yeah. bit scary from that, that angle. And hopefully they have a plan to fix some of that next year.
0: Yeah. Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah. But, uh, Michael, you
0: had a a half marathon last weekend. So let's, let's hear about that. Yeah. I'm excited to kind of get back out on a, on a race course myself doing a half marathon. So for those of you that, um, don't know, I'm training this year. I don't have any triathlons on the schedule. I'm looking at a couple that might just be easy ones to drop into, um, but my main focus to a race is the Chicago marathon and I'm looking to go sub three hours and I haven't done a hard half marathon effort in like four years and I haven't done a marathon ever. So, so a whole lot of obstacles and challenges ahead with this one, um, this last weekend, I was able to get out and do, um, 13.1, uh here in Northern Illinois and. It was a, a relatively small race. I think there were like 700 runners. Uh, I did make sure that ahead of time that there was a pacer for the 130 group. That I—that's kind of what my goal was. I wanted to just run 130, see how it feels. Um, I know I'm going to have to run or be capable of running faster than that at 13.1 to be able to to get a full marathon in. Um, so, you know, works still to be done. But um signed up for this race. They did have a 130 pacer. That was as fast as they got. Uh, again, kind of a small race. I ended up showing up and the, the course and conditions, I'll give you a little bit of background on that. It is predominantly on like crushed limestone and gravel. And it is on an old, it's one of the like an old train track type replacement railroad courses. So it's just pretty much you get out onto the course and it's six miles down, six miles back, and then a one mile kind of start and finish to the, to the course. And, and that's pretty much what you got or a half mile, um, start and finish to the course. And that's what you got. Um, so no, nothing technical about it, but there are a couple, um, I think the challenges on the day were one, there's, uh, the elevation was flat for the most part, but where there was elevation, it was like five to 15 feet that comes in a relatively short period of time. So the inclines and the declines were relatively steep in those short periods. That was challenge number one challenge. Number two was, it was extremely windy, 15 to 20 mile an hour, consistent winds that we were running and they were kind of hitting us at the side. Um, so it didn't really feel great in either direction. Uh, and then challenge number three that, uh, that I found out for the day was our pacers. Um, so not only did we have one pacer, we had two pacers, which for, for most people, um, that's, that's highly uncommon. If you're, if your, um, name is Elliot Kipchoge, you're used to having multiple pacers, but for a 130 pace group, you know, I was kind of scratching my head. I was like, why do we have two pacers? So anyway, the race is starting off. I'll, I'll kind of walk you through everything. And, um, Keith, I'd love your feedback, uh, whenever, whenever you're willing to kind of provide it, we start the race and. You know, there's like maybe five or ten guys that go up the road. That's about it, that are really pushing the pace faster than 130. Um, and you know, we kind of settle into a little bit of a group, but I mean it took a while. The first half mile is is a slight incline up. Um, and it felt like the pace was significantly faster than our, our goal pace. I went back and looked at it. I think our first half mile, we were around 630 pace. So we we started hot. Um after that point, there was a little bit of a, a drag downhill and the pacers were kind of talking to us. I, I found out I learned two things. One, um, Pacer we'll just call him Pacer. Number one, uh, was just two weeks ago running Boston. And has not run much since Boston, and, and he raced Boston for the first time, and it was a hard effort for him, and he, he requalified for Boston. So, so no doubt, this guy's a really strong runner, and can pace a one hundred and thirty group, or is significantly capable of pacing a one hundred and thirty group. Um, it found out, you know, his, his fastest half marathon PR is around a one hundred and twenty-two, so he he has the credentials to do this, but you know, his legs are tired. And more than likely he hasn't been training at 650 pace for a while. And he even said that. He said, you know, I'm just gonna do my best to keep you guys on target here at 650 pace, but we're probably gonna go a little faster, a little slower here or there. It's like, okay, well, that, that's probably okay. That's not a big deal. You know, we're half mile in. I was like, well, we started a little hot, but we'll we're dialing it in. We're getting closer. Okay, let's see how this goes. Mm-hmm. So Pacer number two starts talking and shares a little bit with us in two weeks from the day of the race he's going to be running a 50 mile race. Um, so this is really just like a a long training run for him, but he's not used to really pushing 650 pace. He definitely can, but this is, this is, you know, above and beyond like his normal speed threshold that he's been training for, for a 50 mile race. Okay. Got it. All right. So we have two, the reason we have two pacers, it's becoming obvious to me that we have two people that one is training significantly slower than race pace over the course of the prior couple months one that's been training significantly faster than our race pace over the past couple of months neither of them probably have 650 dialed in very well uh and it didn't take me long for to to kind of experience that because by the second mile Neither of our miles were, were within five seconds of our goal pace. Um, both of, I think the first one was like six forty two, and the second one was six forty four, um, and, and that's great if you're trying to run faster than than one thirty. Uh, and our, you know, pacer number one is like, hey, we're we're putting time in the bag. That's how I think about it. We're putting time in the bag. Perfect. I love hearing that. Um, and you would think, hey, if you're running a little bit faster, that's fine. Especially, and it's okay. Especially if it's a consistent pace. Um, but the pain points that that I want to share with everybody here is it's very difficult if you're trying to run a one thirty, and your pace is going from six thirty to seven fifteen to six thirty to seven fifteen. Uh, and, and Keith, if you look at my data, um, I think the pace is a little bit harder to see because it goes so quickly. But I really found the stride power meter extremely helpful when I was analyzing my own run. If I look at every little two mile break, my power is kind of bouncing up and down plus or minus from about 310 315 is the power I need to hold to run 650. Uh, and it's going from like 270 at times on the low end 280 up to 350. Uh, and then I think that there was a point later in the race and, and these these surges are happening constantly. Um, and there's a couple of the other runners in the group are like, what is going on? Why are we surging? Uh, We were surging up and down every five or five or 10 foot hill. We were surging through aid stations, uh, which is like just ridiculous. It would be like a gap would open up of like 15, 20 feet between almost everyone in the pack because our pacer just decided to like grab a drink and take off. Um, And it would just leave everyone scratching their heads. So uh, I decided like, Hey, maybe it's the the first half of the run. I'm like, th- maybe it's the wind. Maybe we're getting hit by the wind a little bit hard, um, up front. I mean, I'm not having too much issue with it. It is something you can feel, but it wasn't really something that, that should have hurt you too bad. Um, but it's like, okay, maybe at the turnaround, it'll get better. It didn't get better at the turnaround. Um, in fact, our pace actually sped up. I think our, the front, our, um, pacer, pacer number two dropped off at mile three. That's an important piece I should. Make mention. Pacer number two, he's training for the fifty miler. He drops off at mile number three, um so we we're we're down to one pacer. We hit the turnaround. Uh, we are at one. We're at forty-four minutes and like four seconds. So we're we're just cruising at about one twenty-eight pace, way faster than one thirty pace. And and I'm feeling like, hey, I think I can run that pace if it was steady. But I'm getting beat up. By these little surges and slowing it down. If you're trying to run 130, if you're on pace to run 128, I don't think there's any point in your race that you should be running 715, right? That just doesn't compute. Like the math doesn't work and it's not really the best strategy if you're trying to have a quick time. That's what we were doing though, the entire race. All the way back down, um, coming back from the turnaround. It was just getting more and more painful. By mile ten, I'm like, I'm really starting to feel it, um, and that's also the time period where Pacer number two decides to join back into the race. And I don't know if that's allowed in most normal road races. A pacer can drop off and then join back in with the group if they haven't run the rest of the race. I know, like Kipchoge, he did his breaking two attempt with pacers that were coming in and out, but I think that's like a, a written rule. You can't have a pacer in and then out and then replaced. Right. Right. In a normal race. Yeah. Okay. Cause they're still well, competitors, technically. Yes. So, but this is a U. road race certified course. Um, I don't know, obviously they didn't care much about the rules. So pace number two is back in. Um, and he just tears up the group. I think we had like nine or 10 people at the time of mile 10. Um, and then within half a mile, there's like only four people going up the road. Pacer number two is dragging one other person with him. Uh, pacer one is now behind him saying, Hey, we need to slow it down a little bit. We need to slow it down a little bit. He did that for like 10 seconds. And then he was up the road. Um, and, and I had to drop off. I was like, this is ridiculous. I know I have a couple minutes in the bag now at this point, cause we've been running too fast. Um, so I, I had to kind of take it easy for a 10th of a mile or two. Recompose myself and run it in the final 5K, most of the final 5K by myself. Um, I ended up doing that uh, on my watch, 129.50, 13.1, but clock time was 130.12. So um, I'm not going to be like upset or disappointed at the end result. Um, kind of my lessons learned are a couple things. One is I, I know I can run the pace to run three hours but I got a long way to go to be able to run three, a three hour marathon. That's kind of my first takeaway. Uh, the second takeaway I have is, is running that pace. I was able to take two gels throughout the race. I took one at mile four I took one at mile eight. This, the eight mile gel was a caffeinated gel. The first gel was not, I felt like that was good. I didn't feel like I was running low on energy, but I had a really hard time getting water down. Um, running that pace. It was just hard to drink. Uh, And after the race, I was extremely dehydrated for the rest of the day and even into the following day. So I know I need to figure out how to get fluids down because the half marathon, and it was 45, 50 degrees. I didn't feel like I was overheated or sweating, but uh, I was definitely losing fluids and I wasn't able to replace them as well as I had hoped. The only thing on course I was available was, you know, capped bottles. I think that's harder to drink from, uh, but I got to figure something out because I have to be able to, to stay hydrated over the course of a full marathon. Uh, and, and, and then I think the last lesson learned here was I didn't feel like it again was the cardiovascular system that was, holding me back toward then it was just muscle fatigue of hanging in that that 650 pace or, or excuse me that 630 slash 715 pace uh, one or the other. Um so again just continuing to work on some muscular strength, speed work, um, and some of the other um uh, strength exercises that you've been giving me, Keith, I think that's going to pay dividends to be able to hold that pace. It wasn't the cardiovascular beat down. It was, it was just like my legs are feeling toasted at this point. So That's a lot. I think that's how
1: that's generally how a half marathon is, unless you're running really, really close to an hour. Um, I mean, even for me, my PR is one ten and I wasn't really ever breathing super heavy. It just came down to my legs being able to run that fast anymore by the time you get close to the end. And so I think that that's pretty normal. Um it is interesting. I've I've had your your splits and your power and everything up as you're talking so that I can look through it with commentary. Yeah. And uh, your power
0: does fluctuate a lot. You can see some really big spikes in there right before Uh, I got dropped. I was going three seventy, which is just, it was like, I can't hold on. I was, I was trying to stay in the group and I couldn't. Yeah. And, and you can see that on here. And what's really
1: interesting is some of the power spikes correspond with Hills, which makes sense. Um, But then it looks like the U-turn was kind of at the highest point of the course. Yeah. And your power is like the, the lowest. Over that
0: section, which is the high point of the course, and so yeah, every we, other we hill, slowed down like a little bit spike. before the U-turn. Um, yeah. pace-wise, uh, it was a little slower, and then we hit the U-turn. And I think that mile coming back was like six forty-one after the U-turn or something like that. It was way off. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and then your second mile was
1: the highest power. Um, at three thirty-six, your average was three twenty-two. Um, and then toward the end where you're running downhill, your power does drop off, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting and and it's good to hear the commentary with the, the splits and the power and kind of see, um, the one thing we know we need to change is, um, we need to update your threshold because it's, it must be higher than we think it is because you ran over your threshold for an hour and a half and that's not, uh, that's not possible. So we can recalculate that.
0: The stride app, what does it have it at? I can pull it open. Is that what you're talking about? In training peaks.
1: Oh, in training peaks. Yeah. In training peaks, it says your intensity factor was uh, 1.07. Well, the the
0: stride puts it at 336.
1: Okay. That would be, that probably seems about, about right. So, so that would have, that would put you running at about
0: 95% would be your average for this race. Yeah. It was a hard race. That's why I would, I would definitely say it was a hard effort. It could have been for the time, a lot easier of an effort. Uh, and I don't, I don't blame the pacers. Like they, they're only, they're out there doing it to help people. They're, do, they're not getting paid. They're just there to help. Right. Neither of them were probably the right picks or the right choices for that. It was a small race. So you don't have a lot of options. So I think also maybe the other last lesson learned here is like, I need to realize that earlier on. There was a small group of people, like I said, 10 people that went up the race, um, from the start and a couple of them never got more than 30 seconds ahead of this pace group. They were just running up at points. They would be maybe 30 seconds up. Maybe at other points, they'd be 10 seconds up. And that was probably our group doing the surging and those people probably holding a better pace. I need to better recognize that. Like, Hey, is someone else handling this pace better that I can pace off of, or do I just need to do it alone? Um, because even coming back, I was a little bit off pace. I was like seven minutes per mile and then maybe seven ten per mile. Um, I can pace it myself pretty closely and and I just need to recognize when I need to do that because going with the, with the variable variability in the pace, it was, it was kind of a beat down. It probably ended up being a better workout because of it. Um, but not, not what I was trying to do from the get go. Right. Yeah. But now we know for next time. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing I am disappointed about, well, I know we're going to have a, I'm not, I know I'm going to be doing more half marathons throughout the summer, uh, is that impacts corral allocation because I want to submit that time to make sure I get in the right corral. So I have a three hour pacer at the Chicago Marathon. So I need to make sure I get a sub 130 in, maybe even a little faster, 128, so that I can get the right corral allocation for Chicago. Yeah, we'll do that for That's sure. That's important.
1: Okay, cool. All right. So now, race uh, we'll least, yeah, now we'll, we'll get on to some faster people than us and talk about their race updates. <laughs> cool. So, um, the biggest uh, race that's kind of happened, I think, in North America so far, at least at the full distance, was Ironman, Texas about a week and a half ago. Yep. And um, we saw on the women's side, Jocelyn McCauley won the race by 12 minutes over. Lauren Brandon, um, they both needed to get their, their Kona spots, So they punched their ticket for the fall world championship. And, uh, Jocelyn also has a spot in St. George this coming weekend. So she'll be doubling back
0: just, uh, just two weeks after Ironman, Texas. It's like, um, here's my question on that. She didn't just like win this race. She won by like 12, 13 minutes. Did she know she was that far ahead? Um, she, she was she just putting to- the hammer down.
1: She had to have known, um, but I, I wonder how hard the run was for her because she did run three thirteen, and I think she's capable of running quite a bit faster than that. Um, she really did all of her damage on the bike. So she had the fastest bike split by, by quite a bit, at least over people that were in the race. I mean, she was, um, almost six minutes faster than Danielle Lewis, who had the second fastest split. Um, but Danielle wasn't close on the bike at all. She was 10 minutes down out of the water. Um, and so it's, it's good to, good to see Lauren Brandon up there though. We're, I think we are pretty excited about that. I, I got a little bit worried when she got caught on the bike, um, but she ran 319 and, and held on for second. So that's, mm-hmm.
0: that's good for her. Go ahead. So we have, we, we will see Jocelyn at the yeah. world <laughs> championship in St. George. Lauren Brandon will not be there. She'll be in Kona though. Is that's right. that accurate? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So,
0: and the, uh, the,
1: the other name that uh, stuck out on the list, and she wasn't really a factor in the race, but that was Ayueda from Japan. And she's been racing draft legal for quite a while. Uh, she's gone to a couple Olympics mm-hmm. 2008 to 2012, um, but she's 38 years old and she's made the move to non draft this year. So it'll be interesting to see what she does. She ran uh, 305 and uh, that's a pretty quick run in your first Ironman. So it'll be, it'll be fun to see what happens with her.
0: Yeah. She's got to bike a lot faster though.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. She went 522. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then uh, on the men's side, we saw Ben Hoffman get a win by not by just 13 seconds over Magnus Ditlev, but Magnus had a flat. Um, I don't know that anyone knows exactly how much time he lost. I've heard up to about, about nine minutes. Yeah. that's what they I said It wasn't uh it wasn't an easy fix. It was, uh, it sounds like it was kind of an explosion
0: flat. Yeah. And he had to do so, it all by himself. I, I, I believe so luckily he had the uh, equipment to fix his tire. Um, but neutral support was not at the front of the race when he flatted, which really sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's disappointing, especially when you lose by, by 13
1: seconds. And you have to think that um, I mean, obviously Ben Hoffman won the race, but you've gotta believe that Ben couldn't run much faster. He ran two forty nineteen. And so if Magnus had biked seven, eight minutes faster, um, there's probably no way we were gonna see Ben Hoffman run a two thirty-two and catch up. So um that's disappointing for him, but the most important thing is he got a Kona spot for right. this fall. And um Ben Hoffman already had a spot. And so yes, for Svensson in third,
0: he will he will get his his spot also. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's this is such such an interesting race because we have both the winner and the men's and the women's high that we're gonna see at the World Championships here this next weekend in St. George. And you have to ask yourself for both of them was what you know, okay, so Ben Hoffman didn't need his spot. What was his motivation to be in Texas. So then, he uh, is, really, the question is why?
1: So I saw something on, on one of his social medias. He was talking about how some of his best races have been the second race when they're in close proximity. And so, uh, I got the impression that he's testing this out because he's really thinking Kona and not St. George. And so he's willing to roll the dice on St. George and then see how it goes. And then I think that's going to determine whether or not he does an Ironman or how close to
0: Kona he does another Ironman if he decides to to do one over the summer or the fall. Interesting. All right. So let's switch to talking about St. George. I want to bring up a topic that's been put around some athletes, some media covers of St. George to the point that you're bringing up. Are athletes viewing St. George as a second tier world championship? Is it a second tier world championship? Um in comparison to Kona. I think
1: probably in half of the pros' minds, it probably is. It's a chance to see everybody and most of the big names and race them in person, but it doesn't mean quite as much Interesting. as it does for Kona.
0: That that would be my guess. Oh. Right now. I have to I don't know if I agree with that or not because. You know, the athletes, maybe some athletes think that way, but do the majority of athletes think that way? I don't think so. Because if you come in with that mindset, this field is stacked, even though there's a list of people that are not there, this list is still stacked. It's getting more competitive every single year. Um, And and we have a bunch of newcomers or extremely fresh iron distance athletes that are going to be in this race, racing against veterans. So if you come in, Hey, this race doesn't matter you've already thrown in the towel. Um, so, so I have to say that's reason number one. And then reason number two is like, do you think sponsor, do you think sponsors are taking that stand? The people that help fund this sport, um, the brands, I think they're very bought in that St. George matters. I, I think uh, hopefully, because I mean, there still is a really
1: large age group presence there. So I think from the sponsor perspective, it's going to get just as much notoriety. And I think there's, right as much coverage going in, you know, from, from that visibility perspective. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's second rate as far as the competition and the coverage and all of the, the spotlight. I think it's just, it's not quite the same, especially when there's a Kona this fall. And I think that if Kona wasn't happening this fall,
0: then that would be different. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think you can take anything for granted right? Especially since Kona is in the state of Hawaii, and they're probably the most conservative in terms of COVID um, and allowing events to continue on. We've seen that since it's been canceled two years in a row. Um, This might be the only one. We don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I think we've all thought that COVID is going to go away at some point over the past two years, and it hasn't. Uh, And and it could easily, there could be another variant that comes up and Hawaii shuts down and Kona's canceled. This might be the only world championship this year. I think people are taking for granted the fact that, hey, Kona's on the schedule. It's going to happen. It might not. Well, this is, I'm going to throw
1: in my conspiracy theory for the day. If you um, go onto Ironman's website and you go to their pro athletes page, Um, if you're listening and you've never gone, you can go to ironman.com and click on resources and then click on pro athletes. And that's where you can find the pro specific schedule and all of the pro information. They recently updated their fall schedule. They previously only had pro races listed through August and they put the rest of the races for the remainder of the year. Um, and the, the first one is listed as Ironman world championship, St. George. And the second one is just listed as Iron Man World Championship without a location, yeah, or yeah, it might just be Kona not giving the assurances <laughs> that it's happening, right, yeah, so uh you know it could just be by chance that they just said Iron Man World Championship, but the the first one is specifically Saint George, the second one is yeah, is blank, and i I'm assuming that is because we all know it's Kona, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you never know I with like Ironman
0: and how things have happened. All so, right. I love the conspiracy theories. Okay. Let's talk, let's talk about theories when it comes down to the races. So, okay. So again, first time in 900 plus days that we've been able to talk about an Ironman world championship. It's happening this weekend in St. George. Let's start with the men. I got the men's let's right. pull up. What are you, what is exciting to you? Besides the fact that it's been 900 days, what are you
1: thrilled to see? I, I'm i just excited to see the the Norwegians
0: race against other top Ironman Mm -hmm. athletes. Gustav has done that already to some degree, not necessarily to the degree he's going to do this next weekend. Um, Right.
1: So I think he's he's a little battle
0: tested Christian. Not so much. Yeah. Um, But the thing about Ironman
1: Florida was it wasn't as deep as this. And so I think it'll be, the race will play out differently. It won't just be Gustav at the front. Um, You know,
0: I think it'll be, it'll be a much different dynamic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So we don't have either of the Germans, um, Patrick Lana or Jan participating in today's race. So that's probably the biggest bummer that we don't have those, but we have a ton of other depth. And I think honestly, when I look at the start list, if you finish top 10 here, That's a huge performance for for virtually anybody, because to me, the top five, I know we're going to talk about it here in a sec as to, Hey, where do you, how do you see the podium shaking out? In a lot of races, we talk about the top three, let's go ahead and talk about the top five, because the top five is a toss up and I can see so many people winning. Um, I can see a 10, 15 people being in the top five. I don't know. Do you have the same perspective on the depth here, um, or is it a little bit clearer for you as to who you think is going to be top five, top ten, and kind of how they break themselves apart? I don't. I don't know if it's
1: really clear, Um, but I do think that there's probably I, I would say ten. I don't know if there's more than ten guys that I would put in contention to be on the podium. Okay. I say that and lot, now. Though. There's going to be someone unusual, but yeah, yeah, but that's a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, going through the list, I feel like Gustav is the the clear favorite. Um, yeah. You've got to throw Lionel in the mix, and Daniel Backegaard, Sam Long. Um, Sam Long was just hit
0: by a car last week. Don't forget. That's true. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll see. I don't I'll think guess. it's as, I don't think it was that significant of an incident, but that he's made a couple of posts or comments about it on his social media. Um, and he, he said his hip was a little tight, but we'll, we'll see. You never know how those, you know, you feel fine the day or two after, and then a week later, your hip is, is even worse than mm-hmm. when it originally occurred. So hopefully he's fine. Let's move forward with the assumption that he's fine. Yeah. And,
1: um, I, I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest name is obviously Christian Blumenfeld from that's who I would, I'm picking to get second. I, I think that, that he's in it, um, you know, we already talked about Ben Hoffman potentially being in there, but we don't know Mm -hmm. exactly, you know, how much he emptied the tank at Texas. Um, and then I think the guys that we don't, that nobody's really talked about enough is, you know, there's still guys like Sebastian Keenlay and David McNamee that are maybe getting a little bit older David McNamee, not, not as much, but you know, Keenlay is 37 and yeah, you know, um, but he still is, is a really solid athlete. Um, Michael Weiss, maybe somebody that could affect the race. He might not be on the podium, but you know, really strong cyclist, um, you know, and then, uh, the big one at the bottom of the list that, you know, is only ranked 274th is Alistair Brownlee.
0: If he could just finish a race strong, I think he'll, he'll do really well. This, yeah, I agree. There are some experienced athletes in this list and I think the front of the race though to win this race and be on the podium, you're going to have to put and risk it, right? You're going to have to risk blowing up. I think that's like, that's how it's going to be. Um, so I, I agree. I think the favor coming into this race is, is likely Gustav. Uh, it's his to lose. He's probably, I mean, this is an extremely hilly course. I think this is a course that just favors favors him all around. Um, so he's going to be there at the end. Um, though there's five or 10 guys though, that I think, and the reason I say, you know, I think there's 10, maybe even more that can be on the podium is because it's going to take a whole lot of risk to end up there. A guy like Lionel or Sam, I think is going to have to run the race of their life to be on the podium. Yeah. And that also might mean that they end up walking. Um, and I think though it's going to be because of that, it's going to be extremely exciting to watch. And it opens up the door for veterans, like you've mentioned, Sebastian Kinley. I don't think he's a podium contender, but I do think his experience and other athletes with his experience are contenders for top five and top 10, because if you race within yourself, you might be able to pick off some of those athletes that had to risk it all because they were going for that podium spot. So it'll be interesting to see the dynamic of athletes that are pushing, doing everything they can to win the race versus athletes that say, hey, that pace on the bike was not something I can sustain and I'm going to back off or that pace on early part of the run. I can't sustain that, but I'm going to catch you later in the race. So there's going to be right. that mixture of like, whoever wins this race is taking huge risk, but in that, you know, top five, top 10, there's going to be athletes that surge up at the end of the race that just raced smarter. Right. And, and I th-
1: I think we're going to see people blow up on the bike, right? I don't yes. think that it's, yeah. I mean, it's, um, There's 700, there's over 7,000 feet of climbing (laughs) on the bike. And so, you know, I think, I think it's going to be interesting to see that there's the big climb, right. Is, is coming up on, it's like just around mile 70. Yeah. Right. So from, Canyon. Mm -hmm. yeah. So from about 60 to 80, right. They're going to gain almost 2000 feet and that's going to be a big chunk. Then there's the big long descent with another, another good bit of climbing right before the end. And so I think it would be interesting to see if there's a big bike group that makes it over snow Canyon together. And then they, maybe somebody tries to take a flyer on that, that second Hill around hundred miles and get away.
0: Yeah. They're going to be, these guys are going to be going 400 Watts up snow Canyon. It's going to be insane (laughs) to watch, um, just watch their faces and watch who's, who's putting in the, the effort. Like, is it going to be, the question is: Is it going to be Sam or Lionel at that point? Is it going to be somebody else that can swim a little bit faster and be there and a little bit more rested? Because I think Sam and Lionel, are, um, well, you know, the Norwegians don't swim necessarily that fast, um, but Sam well, and Lionel they are going to have to. They, they're, <laughs> they're not. They're not going to. They're not going to swim with Alistair. I don't know. So, we'll see. So there's going to be. A, there's going to be a lead pack. Then there's going to be the Norwegians, maybe a little bit off that, and where does Sam Lionel and some of the other big bikers come into play? Yeah. How much gap do they have to make up? I agree. Snow Canyon could be a deciding point. If, if there's a big enough group there and people decide they want to really start to risk it at that point in time. Um, if the front group is really just the people that swam in the first pack, maybe plus or minus a couple, I don't think they risk it yet at that point. Um, but you might see in that second group or other groups down the road where they start to push it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then looking at the run course,
1: they've, they've eased off from 70.3 worlds last year. There's only 1400 feet of climbing on the run. Um, so it's not, not nearly as not that that's not, that's still a very difficult run, but it's not nearly as, as hard as 70.3 worlds was last year. But it'll be interesting. Again, there's there's gonna be four big hills and it'll be fun to watch. Um the last hills at about mile twenty two, two twenty-three. Um it's pretty lengthy, and that'll be mm-hmm. probably the spot where if it's still a race, that's where
0: something something exciting will happen. This is gonna be a race to the end. This is gonna be really cool to watch. So what's your who's who's in the mix for your podium?
1: So I'm going to say that Third is going to be Alistair Brownlee. And second will be Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav is going to win. Not very creative.
0: That's not extremely exciting. All right. I'm going to, I can't pick three because I just don't know. But I like those three that you have. I don't have faith though in Alistair Brownlee because he hasn't performed in an Ironman Yes, uh, yes, he has his Kona spot. Uh, yes, he he earned his St. George spot, um, but he's blown up a lot. He's he's a guy that's willing to risk it. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, right. And in comparison to the Norwegians, I don't think he's going to beat them. So I'll go with Gustav first. Uh, I think though that at the start of the race you're gonna you're gonna see Alistair at the very front. Um, he's going to swim probably front group. Uh, he's going to be there on the bike and then coming off on the run. He's, you know, Gusaw at some point he's going to catch up on the bike or the run. He's going to be there. Uh, and, and Alistair is going to push it and he's willing to risk it. I think Alistair blows up though. I don't think he can maintain that pace. And that's why like he's a first or last type of mentality. And he's the one, he's someone that I think gets blown off the back. Um. So, so that's my pick there. I'll, I'll give you Christian second. So I, you know, I agree with you on the one and the two, I think it's just going to be a little bit challenging after that point. As I said, who fills in, you know, spot three, four five. I really want to see Lionel or Sam in there kind of mixing it up. But, you know, I think they're very similar. Um, maybe Sam more than Lionel at this point in his career, Sam is probably a first or last type of mentality more than he's been, uh, more than Lionel. Um, so, so maybe we see Sam there. I think he can hold off. Maybe he'll, maybe Sam's top three. Um, Lionel might play it a little bit smarter. I think he's in contention for a top five. Um, and then who else can sneak in there? Uh, I, I like Ben Hoffman. He, he did race really well. He swam well in Texas, but does he have the legs for this? Um, Daniel Backengard, I think he's going to be there. Um, uh, so, so I'm, I'm kind of talking myself through this. I'm going to pick Daniel for the last extended podium okay. spot. He's going to be there. He's going to run well. I think he races smart and he's not a first and last type of person. So that's why I'm picking him for a final podium spot, extended wow. podium okay. spot. All right.
1: So uh, how about the women's race? Equally as competitive. I I think I, I would have a harder time. I don't know
0: that there's a really strong, clear favorite.
1: Um, no, because there's too many
0: question marks still. Right. I mean, there's too right. many question marks with Daniela um, and Hogg, Like she's probably the the favorite on paper. At least that's kind of how I see it um, because of her history or pedigree, but she's also 39. Um, this course probably favors her in a lot of respects because of, of the hilliness of it. She's an amazing runner. But this is, you know, even though it's a hilly bike, does she have the power to hang in there on the, on the, or it's a hilly run? Does she have the power to hang in on the bike? Some of these, some of these other women are going to push amazing power, not just on the hills, but on the flats and the downhills. Is she going to hang in there? Um, is that deficit going to be too large for her come the run? So I, I don't know who the favorite is. I don't know. Would you, would you think it's Ann or would you think it's someone else? Man, uh, she's
1: not my pick to win. I don't think just because I,
0: I, think Kat,
1: I think Kat Matthews is going to win. Really? Off her bike yeah. strength. Yeah. I think she's, she's in, she's had some good results. She did well at Lanzarote already. Um, I, I feel like she's probably the person to look out for.
0: Um, she's and how experienced she is, but that has not uh, raced that much. And this is a course that I think is experienced. Is going to matter. Well, she was fourth year last year and
1: at seventy point three worlds. And so she knows what she knows what to expect. None of the people that beat her are in, are in this field. So yeah, um, I think after that, you know i'm I'm going to pick Kat for the win. I think that we'll see uh, Anne Howe get second, and I don't think that Daniella is
0: as off the radar as as we think she is. I think she's going to end up third. I would love to see Daniela come back to form, but it was literally a month ago where we saw she's just not there. Yeah, it's amazing that we're saying come back
1: to form, and she still won five of the seven long course events she did last year. So I don't think that she's that (laughs) far off. (laughs) Uh, I think it's just a, you know, she she, she she might uh, be waiting at Oceanside or something like that, ninth or tenth, and then DQ'd. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. She was
0: just getting ready for this. She'll be she'll be prepared. Okay. If if she is if she is, then there's probably no better pick. If if Daniela is 90% of who Daniela is, then she's the clear favorite. She's a good swimmer. The strongest biker, probably even at 90%. Um, stronger than cat, probably at least to match cat, and probably a better runner than at 90%. Yeah. So I also Definitely saw so Talbot Cox post a video of, of Kat and a, like a quick interview in the countdown. And it's funny. Like, so Kat Matthews, like before she got in, she, to triathlon, she was watching and idolizing Danielle reef. So probably it's pretty cool for for them to race each other. Um, and, it, and it would be really cool for them to both be in contention for the win at the end of the race. Yeah.
1: And I, I think, uh, I think Cat. That that should be motivation for her when when the race when it comes down to it. But um, I th- I think she's she's my my pick to win. And Ann Haug, what race has Anne Haug done this year? let a look. I'm not sure. She did um, she did 70.3 Lanzarote and she got second. And who beat her? It was Cat Matthews. So was it Cat? Yeah. So I think she's she's on good form. And uh, I think it's those three though, for sure. I don't, I don't know that I know we've got the trio of Americans there. I don't think that they're podium contenders, but I I think they will be in it. I think with the fact that there are going to be some good swimmers in this, I don't know if Heather is going to be where she needs to be. I think if, if she can come out of the bike with Ann Haug, then maybe she's got someone to ride with, but I don't see her being able to ride her way all the way back in and then still have the run. She needs
0: to get on the podium. Interesting. I, I, I think, okay. So I'll, I'll give you my extended podium here as well. I picked Daniela in Oceanside because I, I really just love watching her. I think she's dominated the sport of women's long course triathlon and she just does it in a fun way. Like she just goes off the front. She races her own race fast in the swim comes out relatively near the front dominates the bike dominates the run. I love watching that. I would love to see her in contention for this race, but you fooled me once shame on you fool me twice. Shame on me. So Daniela I'll say is a podium contender. I'll put her at fifth. Uh, I just, I can't, I can't pick her again after, after what she did in Oceanside. Um, so, so I'll put her there. I think experience on this course is going to matter. So I know it's a very popular pick cat to win. I'm going to put her fourth experience matters. And this is, this is a really tough course. I know she did well here at worlds. None of those other, as you mentioned, none of those other athletes are here, but this is a different course than 70.3 worlds. This is Ironman distance race. So. I'll put her fourth. Um, I think we can see some, like here. here's kind of my debate. Like is Jocelyn McCauley ready to race after Texas? She did extremely well. I think she's ready for some breakthrough performances. I think she can be a top three contender if she, if her legs are ready. So I'll place her in third. Then I would go with Ann Hog second. I think... It really is dependent upon whether or not she can hang in there on the bike, how big that deficit gets for her to come out anywhere close to the front after the bike. Um, I think she's going to smell blood on the water. She's going to have an amazing run second. She's going to finish second. She's experienced. She knows her limits. That's where she, I think, I really think, you know, it's going to be a push for her, but I believe that can happen. And then I think Sky's you know, just, this is a course that needs experience and you need to be an all around good athlete. You need to swim well, you need to bike well, you need to run well, you need to race within yourself. Um, and I think Sky is going to have that right mix for this course. That would be a huge win for her. That's a huge call because I think everyone else is kind of looking at Ann, Kat, and Daniela. Um, but I think Sky should be considered in that group for the win. All right. Awesome. That's that's probably not a, a popular
1: pick for first. I, I'm sure probably she's, not. she's in most people's top five, but that's a that would be great. It would be nice to see uh, an American woman uh, on top. All right. So we're uh, everybody's going to tune in on Saturday. Um, it sounds like there should be the normal streaming from Iron Man, right? It'll be just like the if you, if any of us remember what's what Iron Man World Championship streaming was like um, a few years ago. Um, but I think we'll be able to follow along Saturday. It'll be a little bit easier, I think, for those of us in the states. It'll be first thing in the morning and it won't be several hours behind uh, like it is, uh, when it's in Kona. So and yeah, no am kidding. Kona is hard to watch for anyone anywhere in the world. So yeah, um, this, usually this with Kona, be what I do is I, I work out in the morning and then when I finish the race is just starting
0: and then it finishes yeah. about yeah. Time when I'm ready for bed, <laughs> <laughs> a whole day <laughs> affair. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. I, what I hope is that the Ironman coverage is a little bit better than it's been. Um, even Oceanside, there were a lot of complaints. I think there's a lot, it's just ridiculous that an organization size of Ironman can't figure out or get the right partner for the, for the broadcast and and the video. I hope it's a little bit better than what we've seen in years prior. It's fun that they have anything available, but they could definitely do more. Um, and there, I think there's a, there's a lot better productions out there in the cycling world than, than we see in triathlon. So hopefully, hopefully they're learning and it's going to get better. I'll be on a plane to Jamaica, but I will, I'm getting the wifi. I'm going to be watching this race. You're leaving on Saturday. I thought you were leaving on Monday. Okay. No, I'm so I'm going to be, yes. Yeah, so, um, um, for everyone listening, Keith and I, we're going to be going to a friend's wedding in Jamaica. We're both going to be there. It's going to be exciting. I'll be traveling on Saturday and I leave on Wednesday. So, okay.
1: I will be traveling on Sunday. Hopefully that means Monday we can have an in-person can chat recap show
0: we can chat oh, yeah. some recap. That'll be cool. So yeah. Um, stay tuned for that. Um, we're, I'm really excited to to see this race get underway and ready to, to be back to normal in the triathlon world championship world. So this is, this is Definitely. so cool. Yeah. Very exciting. So, um, everybody, right, so, thanks for tuning in.
1: Yeah. And, uh, we're not going to have any questions or workout or anything.
0: I think we, we talked long enough about races this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. We'll be back to a normal triathlon training, coaching questions episode after the recap. So, so tune in next week for a recap of everything that happened at the Ironman world championships. After that, we'll get back to, to more of your regular scheduled programming. All right.
1: Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you all next time. And Mike, we'll see you in a few days. Yeah. See you soon. Keith. All right. Thanks everybody.